Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Occasionalist. We are plowing through July in our best of question mark month. Yes, that's right, because it's up to you to decide if this is actually the best of us. And um, I am getting ready to talk about the second episode that I'm bringing to the table for the month, which aired on November 20th of 2018, 1997, The Lost Year in Music. Oh, yeah. Good one. Yes. Oh, yes. And uh, this one was recorded uh, actually two weeks after I saw my very, very first wildfire. I got to see um, some of the Malibu fire from our um, like street that we live across from in Playa del Rey. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that that site is very, very fucking scary. <laughs> it's still ingrained in my mind even uh, today. So um, that is one very unique and useless factoid about this episode and not why I picked it, which we'll get into here shortly. And uh, so before we get into this little bit of an intro, I do have a one lightning question for you. And I will say this is definitely going to be one of the most uh, weirder questions that I ask. And uh, so now this song um, that I'm going to talk about here didn't come out in 97, but we do talk about this artist for a little bit in the um, podcast. And it's Paula Cole. And it's oh, okay. her um, song, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Mm. And the, the question that I have for you is, um, so at the end of the song, like, which I got to say, like the song itself is not bad. Pretty good drum beat, kind of like the vocals. But at the end of the song, Paula Cole decides to, in a very, very pretty angelic sounding voice, let out a couple of yippee eyes, yippee yays as she takes the song and fades oh, out. Yes. What is up with that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know. It, it it's I, I now I'm now I'm so I'm remembering this song very well, and I, I kind of remember the video for it a little bit. Yeah, um, like mm-hmm. she's she's a, for a lot of the video by herself in kind of like a dimly lit room. Right. Okay. So I'm I'm kind of remembering the video, and now all I can think of is her at the end doing that, um, doing yeah. the, doing the vocalizations like that. Dude, I don't know. Um, I, I, what was the context that we were talking about Paula Cole? We were talking about, um, like the Lilith fair, you brought up the Lilith fair and everything and about, um, Lilith fair being this vehicle to kind of, you know, showcase female, um, artists and everything. And this was during this time where there was an abundance of like female solo artists being introduced to the world of all different kinds of genres and Mm -hmm. stuff. And we had kind of mentioned, um, like, you know, just this list of people like that were like associated via Lilith fair and also like, like jewel and like, um, Ani DeFranco released an album in 97 Joan Osborne had a hit like the previous year with one of us. So like it was that part of the conversation because I think 97 was the first year for Lilith Affair. I believe you are correct. Yeah, this was, yeah, I believe you're correct. And boy, the, the, the late nineties for, um, for, I don't, I don't know, like I guess female solo slash, you know, female led band soft rock was just like at an all time high. Yes, um, one that we certainly have not gotten back to since the um, since the late '90s. That's for sure. Oh no, you got that right, dude. And like, I have, believe it or not, I have this conversation about the last like 15 seconds of that song quite regularly. And I, my God, dude, it is just fucking weird when you go back and hear it. And like, I can't remember like if this was. I mean, I 
personally, I don't remember like actually enjoying that part of the song in 1996, 1997, but like in retrospect, it is like, it is fucking everything from weird to creepy. It's just like, I can't decide like whose idea or that was like, I don't even know who I'd ask. Like they're sitting in the studio and you're like, you know, what would carry this song out really well. So it's just like about cowboys. They say, yippee, yippee, yo, all that stuff. Why don't you throw in some of those? And like, I, I don't know if this was just like the label putting a lot of pressure on or if Paula Cole actually made a conscious artistic decision to include that little hook on the way out. Mm-hmm. But it's really weird. And especially because the rest of the song is nothing like that at all. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, man, Paula Cole. What a fucking drop there. All right, yeah. so, uh, so so what what is the reason you picked this episode? <laughs> okay, so like honestly, I did like this episode. I really enjoyed the topic itself. Um, I think that the topic and the title is just so true about 1997 being this very 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 lost year in music. And like, it's interesting that while I guess the variety is is not there in present because I mean, we're, this is swing, blue. I mean, this is like every single possible genre of music trying to. Uh, make a crack at being popular but like and i know that like every year you know we see different kinds of artists doing all different kinds of music but like it doesn't at least nowadays it really doesn't feel like that this wide range of sound and genres is like trumpeted the way mm-hmm. that it used to like i mean this was like these swing bands were making the covers oh, yeah. of magazines and oh, stuff yeah. like and uh it, some of these swing bands and everything like that are still around now squirrel nut zippers played out here within like when we first moved out here but um it's just not like the thing to do to like trumpet all these different kinds of genres. It's like these genres still exist, but they kind of exist in their own world. Yeah. You know, you think about it, we were essentially like a couple of years removed from grunge kind of taking, taking over um, Mm -hmm. in many respects. We weren't quite to, um, we weren't quite to where like hip hop becomes more mainstream. We're getting there, but probably still a couple years away. Um, and certainly we were about two years away from like the first like boy bands really breaking through and then right. three years away from Britney Spears breaking through. That's right. So yes. like it was just sort of this 90, you could really, I know, I know we've mentioned it. You could kind of basically go 96 through 98 is, is just this period, um, where like the music industry is like. I don't fucking know. Um, I, what about the Boss Tones? Are they going to be like a big thing? You know, like you know, Brian Setzer Orchestra. Um, I don't know. Like that's like that's where we were. We had no fucking idea. Right. It's like that guy from the Stray Cuts. He's he's making music again. Do you want to uh, bring him into the studio? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like honestly, that was one of the things that I got to say. I'll answer this question now. Is like what has surprised me the most is exactly how far in depth we just dove into this smorgasbord of stuff in 1997. I mean, just the amount of names that were referenced in this episode alone is like astronomical. Like, I mean, you can oh, literally, yeah. it's probably three feet of, of names on the list. But the other thing that I will say really surprised me was there was this section of discussion that we had prior to kind of getting into some of like the, you know, just like the listicle type stuff that was centered on like why this could have happened. And I thought we did like some pretty good analysis, especially because a lot of the, um, a lot of our discussion was kind of predicated on 1994 being this big time, like catalyst of a, mm-hmm. of a year in the music industry between Kurt Cobain dying, the release of green days, Dookie, this kind of, 
you know, throwing alternative and rock, you know, like really, really, really up into the limelight even more so than it has before. And just this landmark year of, of music in 1994, where everything was a little bit more focused to the whole like, okay, people aren't listening to Dookie anymore. So we need something. Yep. Let's call up the Boston's. They were in Clueless, right? People know who they are. So like, <laughs> it, was, it, it was like one of those kinds of things. And I got to say like the, the, this little, like snippet of time that we devoted to like some of the the causes for 1997 being the year that it was, I was particularly impressed by. Yeah. That's um, I, now I really want to re-listen to this one. Cause I, I again, I, there's one I thought about as well uh, about doing as well. And I, I, I didn't because I had a feeling that you would pick it. Um, and I, but I do remember, I do remember this being one of those discussions that like, uh, again, like I, I really like when we do these ones where like we can get sort of like, it's almost like an encyclopedic, uh, you know, sort of like amount of knowledge that we have on like the causes, you know, the, you know, I guess what what could be the causes of what happened um, to the music mm-hmm. industry in, again, we, as we point out, it's really kind of starts in 96 and rolls almost all the way through into 1990 or does roll through into 1998. Why we have yeah. probably what's more like 20 months of just sort of like, it's not necessarily that it was bad. In some cases, it's bad. Like fucking Barbie Girl being, being like a fucking hit. But um, but it, but it is just sort of interesting like how it's just, let's just throw shit at the wall and just see what happens. You know, you know maybe it's a ska band. Maybe it's a fucking, um, you know, maybe it's our, you know, maybe it is one of the, um, you know, one of the women soft rockers. Whatever. Let's just throw it at the wall and see what happens. That's right. And that's exactly what they did for, for like basically like three years of our lives. And there's shit in there that um, has come and gone. There's stuff that's been surprising and stuck around. But man, what a just what a really interesting like three year uh, period and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like when um, I had this feeling that um, and I, I'm pretty positive that with all the online journalism, you could find an article that will reinforce what I'm about to say. But um, like there's a similar period of time in like. 2006 to like 2009 where the cycle kind of like repeats itself Mm -hmm. and i have this feeling that um in in time if it's not already been written about somebody's gonna write an article like contrasting the two years and their like similarities and stuff and the the state of the industry too at those times yeah yeah oh i'm sure you're right um and i i kind of now that you're kind of like mentioning it yeah that definitely was sort of an interesting um i don't know dead period because like I think I think that's when you have all of the boy bands and a lot of all of the female solo acts sort of stopping, breaking up, mm-hmm. stopping. They're not releasing as much material, whatever. Um, right. So like, there's this void of like, okay, so what do we fill this with? And that's sort of when we get the we, and we had already we already moved to this at this point. We've already moved in this direction. That's when you get like a little bit more Nelly popping up, more mainstream. Um, yeah. I think Ludacris had already been mainstream, mainstreamed at that point, and he had his spat with um, Bill O'Reilly. Um, <laughs> so, like you, so like hip hop, kind of um, almost by necessity because of a lack of um, a lack of like notable pop acts doing anything. Mm-hmm. That like almost by necessity, hip hop sort of fills that void. And because here's here's a small conspiracy theory going forward. Because there weren't any really notable new rock acts right then, especially hard yeah. rock acts. That's when we're talking about the demise of, of rock, if you will. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that. And that's actually like going to use that to transition into the thing that I agree with. And like during the podcast episode, we were kind of on like a similar like line of thought as to what we were just on. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I had made this comment that um, hip hop is like really like the only groundbreaking in quotes genre that's really done anything groundbreaking. Hip hop's the only genre that's done anything groundbreaking in the last like 10 years or so. So this would have been like from 08 to 2018 when this was recorded. Mm -hmm. And like, that is fucking true. Like Mm -hmm. occasionally you have a rock act that, sort of sounds different than everybody else. Like a vampire weekend might be like one of the the more recent examples of something that I think is really different than what's from what's out there. Yeah, sure. But, but like those bands don't come around like all that often. And I mean, just like when you kind of take a look at like what vampire weekend is, it's like, okay, it's just kind of ska and world music put together. So you're not really taking a lot of, you're not taking any like super big steps. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a guy with a harmonica and a drum machine. And all of a sudden he's got a gold record, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, like what hip hop has been doing over the course of the last 10 years has been like, monumental in terms of like development of sound and like we've heard like these kind of subgenres like horrorcore with death grips like punk rap or whatever like all these new kind of mm-hmm. subgenres show up and like even in terms of like the um the more popular like hip-hop acts like i mean kendrick lamar like doing what he did with uh, the, tr- the the jump from uh good kid mad city to to pimp a butterfly is just completely astronomical in terms of like um artistry and like the music and everything like that so like hip-hop in general is doing a lot more of like hey this is something new this is something different than rock has been doing for it's been a long time now it's mm-hmm. been easily like 10 years yeah exactly we you know i, I love all, all those are great examples um that you, that you pointed out plus the sort of the rise of i'll call it suburban rap suburban hip-hop mm-hmm. with yeah. like kid cutting mgk use the cleveland, right. the cleveland kids um where it's not about like living the thug life like they, right. they didn't grow up in the streets they, they grew right. up in like essentially nice neighborhoods in shaker heights so, right, that's exactly right. You know, they had their own. Not that they didn't have their own problems or anything else like that, but like their cultural experience was is vastly different from, um, you know, from uh, from Dr. Dre's cultural experience. You know, forty years prior. Oh, definitely, dude. This is like, it's almost like the suburban rap launched this whole trend of like, I almost called like smart rap or something like that, where it's just. Um, they rap about different things. There's the way that the the rhymes are written. It's like all kinds of crazy references to like shit that like, I don't even fucking know. And it seems like it's something that I should know because, Mm -hmm. but um, it's what is, what these suburban rappers have done, particularly Kid Cudi has just been, it's been really, it's been groundbreaking for the genre. I mean, there, Mm -hmm. there are people out here that like, um, rappers even today that like thank kid cuddy and stuff like you influenced me and it's like fuck dude jesus christ he hasn't been around that long you know making me feel old but um (laughs) right yeah but those guys have really done a a whole lot and um and so like i guess with the thing that i disagreed with from the episode was there was this brief point in the beginning where we got into this little bit of a tangent discussion about how 1991 there was like papers written about 1991 being such a bad year for music and stuff and um at the time when we were recording this i'm like okay like i can agree with this like my mind just kind of went to a couple albums that i knew that came out that year but this is one i definitely disagree with now and i'll just kind of rant off a list of some um albums that came out that year we have pearl jams 10 nirvana's nevermind rem's out of time soundgarden bad moto finger uh blood sugar sex magic from the chili peppers tribe called quest low-end theory primus sailing the seas of cheese 
uh, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, The Smashing Pumpkins, Gish, Metallica's Black Album, Tupacalypse Now, and The Temple of the Dog Album all came out in 1991. Oh, geez. So, yeah, I think we were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so whoever wrote that term paper, um, yeah, there's that term paper should basically be like shelved and never be allowed to be read ever again because oh, wow. that guy yeah. was way off. And like, what's interesting is like, so some of the stuff in the early nineties to this guy's credit, like, which this will be the only credit that I lean him here is um, some of that stuff does kind of run together. And like when I start to place like certain albums and like certain artists and stuff like that in the early nineties, like they just sometimes like even the good stuff gets looped in to like, I, like, I like Tony, Tony, Tony and like the bell bib the bows of the world and stuff like that, you know, like just these kind of like for the time pop acts. And I sometimes feel that there was like more of these kind of throwaway pop acts than there were of any like substantive albums or albums of substance. Um, but in terms of 90, 1991, I was just like way off. Like I, that's mm -hmm. with all those lists, right. With, with that list of albums right there. I mean, yeah, that, that, that might even be like a landmark year in music. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's one of those things like, it's not like we had like on hand list of notable albums by year, like sitting right. with us on hand. So <clears throat> right. it is right. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't even think, like, honestly, I didn't even think to do that. And, like, when somebody, like, if, if basically, like, if anybody were to tell me, like, oh, yeah, like, 1991, or, like, if somebody were to say, like, any year from 87 to, like, 93 were, like, the worst year in music, I would think, I'd be like, okay, let me hear some of your arguments because some of that's a little fuzzy for me. But, like, if somebody comes to me and says, like, 94 was the worst year for music, get the fuck out, dude. Like, yeah. you don't know what you're talking Like, that I can easily say go fuck yourself but some of the other ones i'd be like all right maybe you're right maybe there's a, a tr maybe there's a trough of really shitty material in here that i'm just completely missing yeah yeah exactly all right uh why don't you intro this episode Gemma? all right and with that being said everybody please feel free to enjoy 1997 the year of lost music I love how I love what you call it. We're here to talk about 1997, um, and this is this is there's actually been like many many think pieces uh, on various parts of the internet about 1997, in particular the year of music. And mm -hmm. uh, I love what Chema titled our titled this one for us. It's 1997, the lost year in music, and yeah, there is. I, I think that's the perfect way to. Uh, that's the perfect title. And Chema, if you can't go ahead and like explain like wh why 1997 is the lost year in music. Okay, you bet, dude, all the way in. Like, this whole episode kind of stems from this kind of ongoing, like, little mini conversation that uh, Matt and I have had throughout the course of, um, you know, us doing the podcast and in life and everything. And we were talking, like, I think it got started, like, we were mentioned that 1997 was, like, the worst year in music. And um, I started, like, doing this outline, and I started, you know, like, kind of putting it together with that whole thing, that, like, 1997 was just this god-awful year. But as I started to do more and more research into it, um, I actually found like a lot of surprisingly badass albums and yeah. things like that took place in 1997. And so I felt that putting it as the worst year might be a little unfair, especially because there are some other years in, in the course of my lifetime. There are a couple other years that I have targeted as like, as like what I think to be like really bad, like mm -hmm. in oh. 
like oh three oh four is kind of like yeah, in there. Um, Back when we had Chingy and uh, and fucking uh, Soldier Boy bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And like I would say, there's even like some years, maybe like a little earlier in our lives, like before we were able to like you know, actually like appreciate music for what it is. The, like maybe towards like the late eighties. There and were stuff. there were some there were some people um, that that when I was when I was doing research for this. Um, I, like I like I said, there's a lot of think pieces about 1997 being a terrible year, and there's also a lot of other like music people who study music who say 1991 was a horrific okay. year for music too. So okay, okay, well that might be that might be something worth re- revisiting too mm-hmm. because like the good thing about um the one of the great things about this episode that um that that I think really can make it something special is um we have like kind of two different perspectives on the year 1997 where we have this like living in the now, like when we were actually living it and stuff and being, uh, how were we like maybe 14 or 13, yeah, 14, basically 15. between like 12 and 14, essentially. Right. It is seventh grade going on to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Like, and we were eighth grade going into high school in 98 because the first graduating class when we were in high school was 1999. Yep. So, um, so in, in this, this time period, like, we were had like a, a conscious, you know, um, awareness of music and everything. And it, it wasn't like when we were kids and your parents used to like play that Doors record or something for you, you know, like that you you yourself are actually physically able to like, you know, work and have an allowance and go buy a CD if your parents let you, you know, provided mm-hmm. the parental advisory sticker wasn't on it or whatever the hell, which, <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, um, but, uh, which that, that whole thing is way earlier. But, um, anyway, so, um, I, going through everything realize that it's kind of like a lost year and we're going to get into like some of the reasons and everything like, but I don't want to spoil it all for you guys in the first like 10 minutes and stuff. But there are some events that kind of took place leading up to 1997. And I think that like what happened as far as like, um, you know, the, the state of music in that year was kind of a reaction to maybe some like a chain of events that was set in place like a couple of years previous. Like I'm thinking like 1994 is kind of like a catalyst year. And then 1997 is kind of, is kind of like the result of some situations, some good and bad moves that took place between 1994 and 1997 in the music industry. So like I said, so so we'll get into all that, but the year is definitely lost and we're going to um, highlight a couple of different examples. Why? And I think that um, you guys will definitely in um, in the world out there, if you're listening, will will kind of understand where we are going with this. So, um, but believe me, like it's definitely a lost year. It's not necessarily the worst year, but um, as I originally had kind of anticipated, but um, it's definitely lost. And so, and and, oh, and just I'm just to piggyback off that real quick, we've even like this whole basically from about 1994, 90, well, let's let's say 95 through about like 2002 or 2003 this like mm-hmm. eight nine year period where like it's i think it's like all of pop culture is kind okay. of there's a lot of very forgettable pop culture that pops up okay i mean we're Ooh. talking music movies uh books it's just like this weird period where i, I don't know i don't know what it was like we, we had a lot of copycat movies we had a lot of we had yeah. a lot of uh, knockoff movies it, it, we had a lot of it just i don't know everything kind of came out of like a factory and yeah. some of it was very good, and some of it was very bad, and a lot of it, like, but I think the bulk of it in the middle is in the middle, just forgettable. Like, I, I hear it every yeah. now and then, and then you just, it goes away. Yeah, dude, I totally got you. And 
I should you not like this could end up becoming like a really cool kind of anthology thing within the podcast of like us kind of covering this these weirdo years and like this weirdo span of pop culture and stuff. And yeah. I, I think like this kind of could be like a almost like an inaugural episode to like a uh, like the it. first cinema so the first cinema dissection we've ever done. So. Yeah. So, but yeah, so we're getting into, so the main topic of discussion, as we said before, we're going to jump into it now is, uh, 1997, the lost, the lost year of music. So, um, like I said, back then, um, we were in seventh and eighth grade. Uh, this was at the time when like Jinkos were kind of on the rise, yep. ball, ball chain necklaces, uh, blonde frosted tips and everything mm-hmm. were starting to come back. Like. Starbucks was actually packed and people would hang out in Starbucks and little Arabica and coffee shops. And this was kind of like the birth of some of these um, little things like in hipster world that are still kind of done today to Mm -hmm. a certain degree. It all has kind of taken place back then. And one of my favorite things from um, back at this time, um, just specific to our location, was uh, this was Club Outer Limits in its heyday. Like we actually had like a teen dance club in uh, Northfield Village, Ohio. And that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah, and this was like so. A lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about was like blaring through those fucking speakers on a regular weekend basis, and I would know because I went to that place often, actually. And it was kind of like a a very unusual but beautiful, like little niche and little thing of our our lives that um, you know just kind of you're like, wow, like that actually happened. We had a dance club in uh, Northfield Village, Ohio. I I totally totally forgot about that. I mean that that's fucking crazy. I like. Now, now, yeah, now you're now you're like flooding me with some of those memories. Yeah, dude, nuts. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm telling you, like this whole thing, like I was telling um, Matt before the the podcast, like this was such a rabbit hole thing. I got sucked into. The, I was trying to pull myself out of this rabbit hole. I started going down last night, and I had limited myself to like basically like um, one night and like kind of part of the morning here because it's you know it's like eleven thirty or something here of just doing research because I you get sucked into so much stuff from back then, dude. And believe me, like. Aside from all the the personal memories and everything that we could, you know, that you just kind of associate with these times, like, um, you could go, you you could get lost really, really quick, just like, you know, 1997 as far as music goes. (laughs) But um, anyway, so um, what's, so if you can remember, you know, like back then and everything, what were you like listening to like back then? Do you remember like that point in time in your life? Yeah, um, I, you know, it's. It started before, but um, like at the, at that point in time, I was I was a really big fan of White Zombie um, slash Rob Zombie. Still am, but like that was yeah. about like the point in time where like I really became attached to it. Um, mm-hmm. Same with um, same with like I was real big into Wu Tang Clan and Buster Rhymes too. Okay, like, those were sort of like my like top three at that point in time. Yeah, I gotcha. And, and like I, I think it's just because you know White Zombie had kind of burst on the scene a couple years earlier with I think nineteen ninety. 1990- <clears throat> Excuse me, I think 95 was Astro Creep 2000. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they had kind of like worked their way into the mainstream a little bit, you know, with the, the what would what, you call it? Horrorcore? Um, you know, it's. With, with their horrorcore slash yeah. like metal funk kind of deal that they're right. going with. They kind of mainstreamed a very particular, very particular portion of metal. Um, and then like just Wu Tang Clan, like was, that was like my first introduction to like what would like. I don't, I don't want to say like hardcore rap, but like non party rap. Yeah, I got Clan. Yeah. And same with and same to degree with Buster Rhymes. Yeah, oh definitely, dude. Like Buster Rhymes and Wu Tang, like in that time period were 
very, very different from some of the mainstream stuff that it was coming out and everything. And I think like Buster Rhymes, like through his personality, because he had so fucking much of it, mm-hmm. kind of was like adjacent to like the, the, the party rap and like the, the top 40 rap that was right. out at very the time, you know? It. Yeah. And like, and that just shows you like the power of personality and everything. Wu-Tang is like, Wu-Tang has been like one of the most consistently like real voices within the hip hop game for like God only knows oh, how 30 long. Years, 30 years, 30 years. Easily thirty years, mm-hmm. and the thing that like about them is that you know you're you're might have different opinions of their albums and the work and the solo stuff and all that kind of thing, but as far as like the band itself, they never really like it wasn't like Wu Tang all of a sudden just decided to have like an EDM like DJ come in. It's like yeah, we're working with Skrillex on this you no, know this album, right. and you could really hear Skrillex. Like right. Wu Tang kind of maintains a similar type of sound like throughout the the, the um you know throughout their their time yeah, and then absolutely. i think definitely is one of the things that makes them stand out and and you're right they they did release um an album in 1997 they released wu-tang forever yep. so yeah definitely dude no and you're i i love that you mentioned white zombie because uh white zombie has been one of these um like i don't know it's been like one of these bands that I am kind of surprised that I still listen to it. You know, like mm-hmm. I just kind of like listen to it, like when I work out. And I remember, like back then, it was it felt like really groundbreaking. And you're right about bringing horrorcore and like this. The fact that you could really like kind of do stuff with horror other than going to the movies. You, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, and also like that you're able to number one like have a hit because there's been horrorcore for like you know with the misfits and all that kind right, of right, you know, right. like for the years leading up to in the decades prior but um they really like did something cool and different with it making it this kind of metal and almost like industrial clubby metal where you could go to like um, where you could go someplace like like to Club Outer Limits and hear like you know like at the dance remixes and all that kind of shit or whatever you know so um, and believe me like techno was also like you know which we'll get into too but like it was definitely starting to have its kind of reintroduction to the world in mm-hmm. 1997 as well so no those are very very two um two very very good things were there any like uh you know like did you have like your um like like sitting around like singing Celine Dion kind of moments in 1997 too. <laughs> Not exactly, but like that was also like I, I will admit to being an unabashed Puff Daddy fan as well. I got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, and like in hindsight, I'm just kind of like ooh, um, you know, Puff Daddy as like a personality, um, <laughs> as a you know as a as a business mogul, media mogul, like very interesting person. But like going back and like looking at his music now, I'm like, eee. If it wasn't for Notorious B.I.G. dying, I don't know that yeah. you're, you are what you are. Right. No, dude, that's a very – I'm telling you, I, I feel the exact same way. I am 100% on that with Puff Daddy for sure. How about you? So, okay. So for me, man, like I um, I was kind of my, – my main things in that time period were uh, like I was coming off Green Day. Like I was kind of into like you know developing my interest in the whole punk kind of rock thing and stuff and like back in the you know you actually had to go out and buy music back then so you're kind of it's not like i had the the, the amount of cds and stuff like that that i had today right so, right right like the uh, i was coming off of like a the big green day high with like you know having two albums back to back um we're going to talk about that a little later too um 
there was also Smashing Pumpkins, like Melancholy had come out the year before, and that just being like one of the best double albums of all time. Like, you know, that was something that I, I really like had embraced at that point in time in my life. Uh, Primus, uh, Radiohead, b- both released an album in 97. Like I was kind of fans of them because I lived in Euclid and these Euclid kids were like really big into Primus. So I b- kind of got into that, like, you know, trying to, and trying to make friends and stuff. So, um, and then like, I realized that, uh, during this time period, like, um, of, of this specific year is when, you know, I kind of, like we had talked about before, getting introduced to, to, to different things. And um, you started to take in more stuff. Like I started to appreciate like classic rock more and mm-hmm. like some of the, the classic punk stuff, like the Sex Pistols and the Clash and everything. So um, and we're going to talk about the introduction, introductionary stuff a little bit later. I, didn't, like, well, I don't want to get into that quite yet. Yeah, I, I, saved, I saved quite a bit of that for a couple sections down. So Fantastic. Yeah. So, But I did want to note that, um, you know, like at this like my musical scope was very, very limited at the time, but it was something that I noticed I was very, very passionate about. And I guess one of the things that um, I guess over time and definitely something about the way that the, the market is now is that like, like back then, like in the 97, like in that time period, I, you had like, you go buy one album at the store and like you had that and you'd listen to it for like months at a time, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, that's what it was like with, with like, okay, computer and, um, and like, uh, and green day and like smashing pumpkins. And like, when Oasis morning glory came out, like Jesus fucking Christ, like don't even get me started on that. But, um, you know, that's what like, I, I really like, you know, kind of noticed between now and then is that uh, there's just so much of it now that like, there's really like, there's albums that I probably maybe listen to like once a day for a month, but like, it's not something that I'm listening to multiple times a day for a month because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm older, whatever it is. So, yeah. So I want to ask you this, and this is just like a nice little segue, um, something just aside from the musical stuff, like when, but when it comes to like music specific things, like, you know, um, is there any kind of lost relics from the time that you miss? Like just a couple examples might be like uh, the big massive mall music stores, like the cassette single, like going in and seeing the, the fucking like just the wall of all the stack cassettes and stuff. Is there any like of that nostalgia you that know, you kind of miss? I'll tell you what, like in terms of like the big, the big movies, the big, excuse me, not movie, excuse me, the big like music stores, like the, the mall music stores, I don't really care about that necessarily. I gotcha. um, I, I'm in, in regards to that. I'm fully like a. I'm fully like a modern consumer. Like I really enjoy yeah. the fact that I can just stream whatever the hell I want. But yeah. like what I do really miss, and this is actually one of the attractions that I had to White Zombie. I miss <laughs> going through certain CDs cover art and yeah. the lyrics and like you know what like again whether or not you like White Zombie uh, mm-hmm. or Rob Zombie, you can't argue that like it isn't like a fully encompassing experience when you buy a White Zombie CD when you buy one of their albums. Like, oh, dude. you are fully immersed in what Rob Zombie's thinking about. Mm-hmm. And, like, I miss that, like, going through, opening up. And it was always very disappointing when you bought a CD and, like, it was just, like, a, like, the, it was just, like, cover art and then, like, a liner with, like, the sheet list, you know, like, the track listings. And there's, really yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. else to it. I really right. enjoyed opening up and going through, like, a full book of stuff. And mm-hmm. whether it's reading the lyrics or just looking at art, whatever, like, I miss that. It, like, I haven't yeah. bought a CD in so fucking long that... Like, I, it's just something that, like, I, I kind of, like, I really should go, you know, on, you know, whatever there's, like, I, th- I think we've already had Record Day recently, haven't we? Uh, we have the Record Store Day, we have Black Friday, which is coming up next week, and then the actual Record Store Day takes place in April. April, right, right. So, like, that's, like, what I probably next time I need to go, I need to go do that and, like, buy something, even if it's something yeah. that I've, I've owned previously, just to right. get that feeling again. 
no, dude, I totally fucking got you on that. And like, um, for me, like I have Spotify now, like just got me uh, a Spotify thing for like Christmas or my birthday or whatever, you know, she got it for herself. And then it's like, Hey, by the way, here's a birthday present for you, which is one of the best presents I've ever gotten. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I, I have kind of modernized, um, the, the way that I listen to music. There's no doubt about that. But I also, um, being that I have been a fan of it, a fan of it as long as I have, I do feel that I have to give back to the artists in some way, shape, or form. You know, so like I do go see a lot of like live stuff, and I actually like will buy records every now and then. And I believe it or not, dude, I, I, I shit you not on this, I have bought. Um, I think I bought three or four CDs in the last probably about year to eighteen months, mm-hmm. something like that. And most of, most of it has just been like. Uh, I, I took my PlayStation to get traded in at like a record, you know, record exchange or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, um, they're like, hey, here's like 15 bucks in credits. So I'm like, all right, well, here's a CD that I, oh, okay, I can buy this here now. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right, right. So just like little things like that. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, like, since since I do go out and buy the stuff, I am kind of a sucker for like the record store atmosphere. And in L.A., we do have something called Amoeba Records, which is like it's like this warehouse it's like what best buy kind of used to be but it's all vinyl used cds it's just like this fucking books movies it's it's everything it's now like i'm sure like what started as a record store evolved into this like big pop culture thing but i mean dude i'm telling you their floor space they it's got to be 90 percent uh music related stuff whether it be records or cds and it's it's fucking awesome dude it's just like a trip down like you know memory lane and stuff and i uh I do kind of miss that. I, I don't really miss like the cassette singles or the CD singles. Like those just kind of seem to be a waste of money back in the day. Like, Oh, you just have this tape and it has one song on one side and then the instrumental version of it on the other <laughs> right. side, you know? Right. But, uh, but, um, I don't know. Like there's something about like those, like the high fidelities and the empire records, like those movies that are kind of record store centric. Um, like I, I kind of always have appreciated that. And we, you know, I, I still do it in some way, but I, I am kind of, um, nostalgic for like the Camelot musics and the um, the like record towns and stuff like that that used to occupy like the, the mall space you and know, stuff. You know what's interesting though? I think, and I, I've said this about movies about movie stores too, the video stores too, that because of the death of stuff like Camelot and um, uh, I don't know, like Sam Goody and some of those other places. I guess Sam right. Goody does more than I mean they do a lot of stuff, but they're obviously not nearly as omnipresent as they were twenty years ago. Exactly, um, but because of the death of those places, record stores are really fucking cool now, because there is no other place to go to get to go look mm-hmm. at vinyl unless yeah. you're buying it online. Um, it's like you know now that now that like I always think about it this way: now that Blockbuster's gone and Family Video's kind of receded, um, the the video stores have a chance to really like curate their selection to customers instead yeah. of just filling their shelves with like fifty copies of whatever just came out recently. Yeah. They can yeah. they can pick and choose what actually goes in there because they're they are now they are now focusing on a certain clientele and I feel like record stores are in the exact same boat. They can kind of curate what they have, make it like a real experience for the people that are going to go into a record store. So I think if anything, it made record stores better. Dude, I love that you put it that way because you hit on something that um, I. It's almost like you've taken a thought that I've had and just kind of put it into words, and I couldn't be any more in agreement with you. And you're right. There are some record stores out there that are so, like, 
cater to a certain fucking audience like in Cleveland for a while. And I, I don't think that is there now, but they used to have something called Grand Poobah's Records. Mm-hmm. And it was this small little store on Detroit right by St. Edward. And you go in there and all it was was electronica vinyl. Like yeah. I, there, and I, I swear to God, and this is no fucking joke. There might have only been like 300 records in the entire store, but they were all fucking like electronica related. You know, that's like, that's like where you went for that. And like Lakewood also had a place called Chris's Warped Records, which was like a like you know probably like 90 percent like punk and ska and everything. You'd be throwing some alternative shit in there every now and then, but like yeah, like it, it, that place closed as well. And you know they've just kind of taken those kind of concepts and just reopened up as something else, you know, like, I mean, there's no shortage of like a, uh, genre specific record store, like in Northeast Ohio or even here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that's, that's really great that, um, that you brought, uh, that you brought that up. So no, that's, that's really cool, dude. And so, um, like, yeah, man, like, it's just kind of nuts, like how much things have like changed over in, time. In a very short period of time too. I mean, very think, about, think about how legitimately think about how, Short of a period of time, we're talking between. I mean, obviously, they're still up and swinging, like probably into the early two thousands, and then just gone, like gone by the time you get to the mid late two thousands. Yeah, dude, fucking nuts, man! It is fucking nuts. And so here's something else that's fucking nuts, and this will be a nice transition into uh, the next part of the the conversation. A lot of smooth transitions today, which is which, believe <laughs> me, I'm always a fan of. So, um, let's talk about something that's fucking nuts. So when our parents we're growing up um, like bands like Led Zeppelin, like the Beatles, like black Sabbath, uh, you know, fucking Clapton Santana, like all these people were, you know, like just kind of starting out, like they were the bands that were rocking the airwaves. And before I get into this question that I wrote on the outline, like, I, I just want to ask you this really quick as kind of like a hypothetical thing. So, you know, I just I said that there's all these like legendary bands and stuff like that that were just rocking the airwaves when our parents were in school. Do you feel that history will be as ah, I'm trying to think of the right way to put it here? But do you think that like history will judge some of the, you know, these artists that were around like in 1997 the same way? Like, do you think that, um, you know, we talk about like, you know, like Puff Daddy and stuff like that. Do you think that like the history is going to hail Puff Daddy the same way that it's hailed Led Zeppelin or the Who or the Beatles? Oh, no chance. I, I think, and I think it's just because we were when you get by the time you get into the '90s, you're like full blown consumer culture. Um, I mean, certainly yeah. in the '80s, but like in the '90s, it's very refined, and yeah. it's just it's it's a machine that's just pumping out what people what they think people want or what people want. Um, right. So there's just more bad than there than there ever has been, you know, than there ever was previously. Um, yeah, I got the, you know what I mean. Like, just if, if we're gonna we're gonna get into some of these songs and stuff, that's a reason why some of these some of these songs that, are, that we why why we're thinking about this particular year in any way. There's a reason why some of these songs became popular because yeah. like it was just it just happened. You know, they just happened to pump this out and people happened to like it enough. Um, yeah, I got you. So like, there was certainly like when you you go back to the '70s. There was just much better music on because the the barriers to like get into the music industry are much harder than they are now. And think about it now: how did how did Justin Bieber become famous? YouTube, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's right. like the the barriers are like in terms of music, especially the barriers are just like falling away. And yeah, whatever you know. So like, there's going to be more quote unquote famous people, more um, you know, more pop acts, more especially pop acts that just become big just because they're more accessible. 
Yeah. It, and like, you know, the, the cream always right. Like we're always going to remember green day fondly, the beastie mm-hmm. boys, um, obviously Radiohead. Like there are great, uh, notorious B I G. There are great acts from this period, but there's just more extra shit with them. Yeah, I dude, I totally got you on that one. And like, I, I'm in the same boat as you were like, I, I feel that there's, you know, like we get people like Puff Daddy and stuff like that, you know, like um, even like some of the artists here that um, that did release albums in 1997, they're never going to be viewed the same way as like the Beatles and Zeppelin and the, right. the Stones and everything. And um, I just kind of feel that like and it's now more of a modern thing. I never really used to feel this way, but I just kind of feel that like kind of comparing certain band like modern bands to classic bands like you could easily say that like you know coheed and cambria is the new rush or so-and-so is the new so-and-so yeah but i think to actually like equate like what certain bands have done for music um you know they're they're just some that like it's almost like a non-comparison and especially when you get into rock like rock is this really like interesting example where um you know you like you said before, like a lot, like I just said, like some of the bands that you see now are kind of like just modern versions of things that were already established in the past with, with rap and everything. I think hip hop and stuff has been some of like what I would call truly groundbreaking stuff in music. If I was to like, if you were to say like which genre has been the most groundbreaking over the course of the last little bit of time, it, it's gotta be hip hop. There's so much like newer kind of things that are mm-hmm. going on in mm-hmm. hip hop. Absolutely. And, uh, so, so, um, so like I do kind of think that it's a little like it's almost like why even take the time to even really like make the comparison anymore like it's almost the whole like LeBron versus Jordan thing where you're never going to really really get an answer to it and it's mostly just somebody's actual personal preference and stuff right. like that right so like I've in lately have been trying to view like music and history like differently and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm one of these people that like, I could say that bands that I have seen that have released albums in my lifetime are going to mean more to me than like certain classic rock bands, because like, I've just never really had the, the full connection of like oh, seeing sure. Zeppelin live day and, and stuff like right. that. So, but yeah. And like, this is one of these things that like, I am just going to be continuously interested in is like how, history is going to perceive the killers and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. what will the killers be like when we're 60? Like, are we going to be like, man, dude, like I remember when I saw the killers back in like whatever year I saw them in like 2013 or something like, man, they were just like on fire then, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, um, just, just something that I am always interested in. But when it comes to 1997, um, particularly who do you feel was it the height of their popularity in this time? This is this is such an interesting question, and like when I really broke it down, I think this like this goes to this goes to like firmly for me mm-hmm. give give reasons why this is the lost year. Um, so like I, I identified four, well five, but two being mm-hmm. essentially the same thing. Um, okay, and, and I'm just gonna list them out here. Ready? Okay. Notorious Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. Celine Dion. Okay. Elton John. Yeah. Spice Girls slash Backstreet Boys. Okay. And so you have you have Notorious B.I.G. helping the mainstream rap. Yeah. You have Celine Dion attaching herself to the biggest movie of all time. Correct. And with, with her with her sound, you know, with uh, My Heart Will Go On, which actually yes. came out at the very, very end of 1997. So it, yep. it actually carries on through 98 is really when it becomes you're, famous. You're and right. then Elton John 
um, sort of reinvigorating his career. Not that he was ever, like, gone, but because of Princess Diana's death, he yep. reinvigorates his career with one of the, with one of his, I think, his biggest single of all time. Yes. And then sort of the, the epitome of consumer, consumers, or I should say music companies trying to figure out what consumers want and sort of manufacturing, manufacturing music with the Spice Girls and the Backstreet Boys. Yes, that those that's a really, really great list. And I like that how you touched the way added a little like kind of sub note to each one of mm. those two. And you're right. Like, I, I feel that um, the, the Backstreet and Spice Girls and kind of this um, the collective, you know, like the, the boy band or girl band or whatever, like this renaissance or whatever. It, it was those two groups. Number one, that, that was the height of their popularity. Right. Like Spice Girls never like recovered. Um, Spice Girls literally by 1998 were like basically done. Yeah, ex- exactly. And like Backstreet lasted like a couple more, you know, like they always managed to last like, you know, two, three years, something like that. But um, the the boy band uh, renaissance or whatever was definitely birthed in uh, right. 1997. It, right, exactly. Yeah, 98 Degrees, they put out their, um, that's right. they put out their album and stuff. So um, yeah, dude, that's, that's a really, really solid list. And I do like how that you included Notorious B.I.G. because you're right, this was by far and away, like the height of his popularity. And was, did he, um, get murdered in 97 or 98? 97, March of 97. And then Tupac followed or was Tupac 96? Uh, Tupac was like in August of 96, I think. That's right. Yeah. I was, I remember being in, um, I was in middle school in Euclid when, uh, you, when Tupac had passed away. That's right. So he was before him. That's right. Mm -hmm. So yes, notorious B.I.G. Like definitely at the, the, the height of his, uh, his popularity and stuff for sure. And like for um for me like I had put down uh, Mariah Carey had put down Butterfly like oh, that was yeah. like yes that was by far and away like one of the, the the heights of her popularity she kind of just you know kind of descended into specific relevance you know from there like pretty much the Christmas song you know like every year like she, around Christmas time now, right I mean she's still talented I mean she can still sing like she's still got the pipes mm-hmm. but yeah. like she's now one of those people who's famous for being famous. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like her, yeah, yeah, her, yeah. her creative oh, yeah. days are so far behind her, but right. she's still a good singer. But she's famous for being famous now. Yes, of course. Oh, one hundred percent, dude. Um, I also think that uh, let's see, Prodigy also was at the height yep. of their um, career because Fat of the Land came out in ninety seven, and they were they were you know they're still big in Europe and stuff. And believe me, I saw Prodigy five. Uh, I saw Prodigy three years ago and it was fucking amazing. Um, so they were, uh, but, but they were kind of a band that just kind of like came and then, and then went right away. Right. And right, then right. Um, like, I, I'm going to talk about this band again towards the end, but um, third eye blind also debuted in 97 and like they ruled it. And then just whenever they came out with their next album, it just wasn't the same. Like people were, people were like, I think everybody wanted Third Eye Blind to be this like radio. We want every song to be semi charmed life and stuff. And believe it or not, there's a lot of musical talent in that band. And when it comes to people that are like legitimate musical talents, at some point in time, their talent exceeds the realm of pop culture and stuff. You know, that's why like you ever see like these dudes who are, you know, just kind of known for being like really, really good musicians and mm. stuff like um like like in modern times, like Thundercat would be one, or like even just like Kenny G. Despite what everybody says, Kenny G. is a musician, oh, a yeah. talented guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So like, so like when it comes to um, 
you know, like these dudes who are like really talented musicians, just like it's almost like people that are really talented just aren't made to put out like r- consistent pop culture hits or, or pop, you know, billboard hits or whatever. But they do manage to have like one year or like one album that's like really accessible. And that's what like Third Eye Blind was. So like Third Eye Blind had it. And then it's just kind of been a, a slow decline. And now they're kind of back, just mostly like fueling nostalgia and stuff right, like that. Right, right. But uh, last year was the. Uh, uh, 20th anniversary of the self-titled album and I saw them perform it in its entirety and I swear to God like it was one of the most like fucking beautiful it's that Third Eye Blind concert is in my top 25 of all time shows that I've ever seen very nice all right so yeah dude so when it comes to um, the height of the popular definitely some people that were really um, famous then that um, are not as famous now and you, you're 100% right about Mariah Carey too so um, let's talk about some songs so believe me we can name a lot of songs but i just thought five would be good so what um when you think about this time period what are five songs that come into your mind well like okay so i actually i kind of broke this down a little bit differently i'm like i actually have like a lot of sort of like i call them like movements that sort of happen at this point in time but uh but like I'll, i'll give you like a song for each basically um like at this point in time this is like i'm this isn't like anything new like the sort of like <clears throat> the, the, uh, there's an old term for it, earworms, um, yeah. the earworm singles. But I feel like this is like the year where they get annoying. Oh yeah, and in particular, like maybe <clears throat> the most annoying earworm song of all time, um, "Barbie Girl," is yes. like sort of the epitome of this, mm-hmm. just like bland, <clears throat> non-interesting music. That it's it's like the bad it's like the bad introduction to techno or electronic music for people. Yes. And it's meaningless, it's stupid, it's vapid, and but like, dude, you and I both know the hook, we both know how it sounds, yep. it, it, it's it's unforgettable, <clears throat> and yep. if, like, if it popped on now, like, I would still kind of hate it, but kind of love that I'm hearing the song again. Isn't, I, that was one of my songs, and you, once again, it's like you just took the words right out of my mouth, so yeah, good, good call on that one, definitely. And I like how you I like how you put it like this. It's almost like this idiot's way of getting introduced to techno the same way. Good Charlotte is like an idiot's way of getting introduced to punk. Right, rock. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Good call. Um, I'll, I'll just go through because I'm sure like we'll cover <clears throat> some ground here uh, on some other stuff. This was also we talked about it before, um, like the prevalence of movie soundtracks. How, yeah. like, they were like in and of themselves, like pretty interesting pieces of, uh, of entertainment. Yeah. And like just like nothing really in specific here, but like just I just throw just throw out a few like right now, Men in Black, um, yes. Selena obviously with Jennifer Lopez, yep. oh, yeah. Evita, Madonna making a big comeback about this point in time. That's right. Yeah, um, Batman and Robin had a bunch of songs that, that were taken off that album. Smashing Pumpkins, the end is the beginning yep. is the end. Yep. yep. Um, and like Tomorrow Never Dies had had a, had a, a big song for I think Cheryl Crow. Wow. So, yeah, so, like, just this point in time, I mean, there's plenty more that from the years uh, before and, like, right after, but, like, we're smack in the middle of just, like, movie soundtracks being a big deal. Dude, that's, I fucking love that. Like, I, I did get Men in Black, um, mm-hmm. and I did get Selena, and I had totally forgotten about uh, Tomorrow Tomorrow Never Dies and Batman and Robin, too. Mm-hmm. Like, the ba- Batman and Robin, like, Joel Schumacher may have, like, mucked up that franchise, but oh, my yes. God. That motherfucker can deliver a soundtrack like I, the Batman Forever soundtrack is incredible. Yeah, Batman and Robin is also really good and stuff. Yeah, very very good calls on that. Um, this is also the era, of, literally the first year of Lilith Fair. 
So yeah, like that's right. in, in, I already mentioned Cheryl Crow, but how about Jewel with um what is it, like you remember me, I think? Uh, you were meant you were, you were meant, meant for me and, and foolish games she had in 1997 yeah, it was it was like the year of yeah. like these alt these alt female rockers um uh-huh. in particular jewel cheryl crow um john osborne had a hit the year before with what or one of yeah. us or whatever yeah and then and, like uh, dude, Ani, dude oh yeah Ani defranco released an album this year Ani defranco paula cole sean colvin um fiona, fiona, fiona apple was still like doing her thing yeah, dude, it, it was like it was like the birth of like these these alt female rockers, and it's kind of weird. Like that's kind of gone away. Yeah, it's dude. I'm telling you, that's it's really interesting that you say that because um, you're right. Like the whole like um, I don't know this whole like kind of like female movement where you actually like with like Lilith Fair and everything. I think the demise of Lilith Fair is also like kind of really important. You mm-hmm. know, when it comes to as far as like putting uh, female um, centric songwriters and stuff and bands like into the limelight and everything. But like that was this year that because Lilith fair was like a big deal, like Lilith fair was actually like this kind of new and very unique kind of experience. And, um, because it was around and because it was so popular, it did kind of carry the weight of these artists and stuff like that. You know, you're, that's a really good point that you make. Um, yeah, no, I, I, th- th- listen, I'm on a roll today. I'm just going to keep you it are. going until, until something keep happens. Um, yeah, this is also like we, we mentioned before, this is like your introduction to techno and electronica and mm-hmm. dance music. You yeah. already, you already mentioned the prodigy, but like probably, <clears throat> probably for more people, Daft Punk's homework album and around yep. the world is like your yep. first real introduction to, to techno. And like they, I don't the prodigy never had an interest <clears throat> in mainstreaming techno. Yeah. But I think I think like Daft Punk was not like they're trying to become famous, but like they're they're okay with like their music being commercially mm-hmm. available to more people. Yes, of course. Well, nothing wrong with that. Just but that's like but that's like sort of your your like two different like case you know two different um, two different you know different sides of the same coin. You know, like the yeah. Prodigy, they I if they never became famous, they would still be together doing you know yeah. their underground shows and shit. Like they didn't they don't give a shit. Whereas Daft Punk right. is scoring entire movies. Like big yeah, screen, you know, big blockbuster movies. Oh yeah, exactly. Like Prodigy was like so big in Europe, and like they, it was like kind of like this, just right at the right time kind of thing where it's like, okay, so there's this band Prodigy. They make songs that are like you know less than seven minutes long. So let's just try like giving them a shot. It almost kind of feels like the industry just kind of like selected Prodigy to release a couple singles and see if they could become big. You right, know? right. And maybe one of the best music videos of all time with uh, with Prodigy, Smack My Bitch Up. Oh yeah, that video. Oh yeah, my god, unreal. <laughs> and then, and then, just like to top it off, you're like, this is also like a lot of like where all the like the rap producers kind of become famous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Puff Daddy, obviously, like your most famous one. But like yeah. Timbaland and Magoo. Um, yeah. This is like the birth of of the Neptunes uh, back when they were actually yeah. the Neptunes. Mm-hmm. So like, just like this, I don't know. Like it just like all of a sudden, like we know the people behind the rappers too. No, dude. That's another very great way to put it. You are on that fucking roll, man. That's all. That's all I got. Like, I I, like, yeah, I wanted to go song by song, but like, as I was like picking out songs, I'm like, there's like a very particular additional sort of movement behind them too. Yeah. No, you're you're entirely right, and I love where you're the way you you talk about these movements and stuff like that. So let's kind of let's kind of stay here with this whole thing because um, I we might go off off script a little bit here that's because I, th- I think that you've addressed something that's very, very, very important here when it comes to these these movements. And 1997 has seen like 
it might even be the birth of these heavy movements of music years because you're right. So we, we techno that we had like the, the rise of like these kind of like the, the female like singer songwriters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And Jules pieces of you and like all that. And Meredith Brooks, and all, these are like just things that like are, you know, you, it's like so specific to that time period and right. stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then like also in there, we had the swing. They they had the swing revival and That's stuff like right. that. Yes. So yes. like we had Cherry Pop and Daddies had their um their compilation, which I didn't really learn. I thought Zoot Suit Riot was a uh, actual album, but it's like a compilation of of sorts. Mm-hmm. So um so we had the swing thing. There was this very very brief snippet where um they tried to p- bring the blues back, like make blues a top yeah. forty thing. So like Johnny Lang's Lie to Johnny Me. Johnny Lang, yeah. Yep that that uh, came out then at that point in time. Um there was also uh, new metal, like we had the the rise of like the new metal, yep. also happened in 1997. Um, we also had a uh, the, the the birth of like the the Latin Renaissance, like Enrique, Enrique Iglesias. He released his oh, an yeah, album in 1997. Yeah. Um, oh man, it just it keeps on getting better. So we have uh, also we have the rise of country pop because we had Leanne Rhymes and Shania Twain, these artists that were kind of both able to break the barrier by being played on country stations mm-hmm. while also being played on like your average like Q104s and like office friendly radio. Yep. And then um, we also kind of had this really interesting shift in rock music. And now let's, we're going to get into like go back a little on script because we're going to end up going where I kind of wanted to go from the beginning oh, naturally sure. out of it. This is great. So when you um, so when we talk about rock, how would you describe um, the state of rock music in 1997? Um, it's you. You kind of mentioned it. You kind of mentioned um, you, when you mentioned Cherry Pop and Daddies, the sort of the swing, and, and I'll, I'll include ska in there too. They're yes. they're kind of the very very similar styles of, of, of rock music, of punk rock music. Oh, oh yes, exactly. Um, you had like those emerging, those two emerging sort of, or like I guess maybe like revival kind of um styles of rock with the new metal and rap rock all kind Mm -hmm. of consuming one side of 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 rock at this point um just like it was you know they're like divergent from what we what we had seen like the previous like seven years basically of Um, course and then from from what you think about like nirvana um from when you think about just like the seattle grunge scene and Mm -hmm. that sort of like alt rock and, and punk rock we you mentioned it before, but like we get like I call them like the diet Seattle grunge. Yeah. So you get like Third Eye Blind, Sister Hazel, Live. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say like uh, Our Lady Peace. Yep. Days of the New. Days yeah. of the New. But... Like just these bands that are like they're very much like Nirvana, but they're not mm-hmm. like Nirvana. Yeah. They're, they just right. they're just they seem like them, but they're definitely not like them. So it's it's this really interesting fracturing of of where like. Rock was very solidified in the early 90s up until about yeah. like 95, 96. Then it definitely yeah. becomes very fractured after that. Oh, God, dude. You're, it's like so beautiful right there because you are actually just naturally steered the conversation to where I wanted to go from the beginning. So thank you very much. Just, dude. I'm, you, I'm I don't just even know. me John Stockton, man. Just throw yeah, dimes. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. You were like me three weeks ago. Like, this is so, this is just, I'm very happy because you're, you're getting into something that I think is really great. And so with, with rock music specifically, um, it's almost like 1997 took, let's take everything that's not, uh, rap and, uh, country and regular pop music and let's just throw it out, throw everything out there and let's see what sticks. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the reason that, um, I think that we're in this state, I'm going to, I'll go with that first is that 
you're right. This whole thing with the early nineties, the early nineties, it was alternative and grunge and everything. And like, you know, this kind of new rise in punk did this own, this was, this was music and stuff, you know, you still had Whitney Houston, you still had Celine Dion, you still had the, but when people look back on the early, this is what they think about and stuff, you know, no one like they made Allison Chains was famous. It yeah, was exactly. charting was charting albums. Oh god, yeah, these people that were like the most unmarketable people in the world. Like, think about like what Soundgarden looked like back then. Mm-hmm. Like, the most unmarketable things in the world that were just like you know generating and ruling the charts and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, people actually being in it for like the music, so to speak. Right. And so what happens is, um, you you do have this explosion. And then somewhere along the way, because I feel that this movement could have really carried itself for about 10 years. But in the middle, there were a couple of like little follies along the way. And um, not, one is not necessarily a folly. It's a tragedy. And Kurt, Kurt Cobain dying is mm-hmm. definitely something that kind of pumps the brakes on everything. But then like bands that, um, you know, maybe were still around today or were definitely popular at this time. They didn't really strike out. They just kind of went a little bit different or maybe did something that might not have been like, you know, to the current or to the path that they they were kind of set Mm -hmm. on. So just to give you like a just like a couple examples. So like the Green Day owned 1994 with um, with Dookie. Okay, then the next year we're talking like maybe like 14 months later, they release Insomniac, which is like which I like. But it's not as like radio friendly or as pop punky as Dookie mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. So like you have the biggest band in the world who's just like released a new album and the album's not as good as the previous one. Like it's you know, it just kind of lets the, the wind out of your sails. And here's a prime example of that is when Green Day did come out with um they came out with Dookie in ninety four. They when they came to Cleveland in nineteen ninety five, they played um CSU, like, you know, which is probably like you have know, eight to ten thousand person venue mm-hmm. or whatever. In, they released Nimrod in 1997 and then played the Agora, I think, in 1998 on that tour. So also like or no, they played they, they played in 1997. They played the Agora in 97 on the Nimrod tour, which was like, you know, infinitely smaller in capacity and stuff like that. So I think that, um, you know, because in the middle there, like, you know, with um, with Insomniac and stuff like that, they just kind of lost a little bit of their popularity. Pearl Jam, who released 10, is their debut album, which is an album full of fucking, like, radio hits. Out of that album, which is, I think, 10 or 11 songs. I think it might actually just be 10 songs. Um, There's probably six or seven radio singles that are on that album. You know, and Pearl Jam, like, uh, throughout time, still had released albums that had radio-friendly songs, but it wasn't, like, the same. You know, like, Pearl Jam was starting to broaden their horizons Mm -hmm. a little bit and everything, too. So you had like these bands that just had all this momentum and energy that kind of decided to go a little bit of a different direction, which, and then you throw in Kurt Cobain dying, you throw in like, you know, just maybe some other bands that just one hit wonders, nobody actually being able to develop and fully become like a torch carrier for the genre. It put a stop on everything. Mm -hmm. And that's why in 1997, and we, we felt that in 96, like 96 was when I think people like the industry became aware of it. And that's why in 1997, you just got flooded with all different kinds of stuff. So, hey, let's see if swing music can make a comeback. You right. know, let's let's see, like, if Johnny Lang's young and good looking, maybe he'll be like a like a super big star, you know, like mm-hmm. one of these days. And then what's even worse than like what happens with new metal? Like, I mean, like, Jesus Christ, like, thank God, like, you know, there, you know, we've been talking, there are some gems that have been released. So you, you did have like the Deftones released around the fur. Um, you know, you have like uh, 
Oh, Jesus Christ. Let me see. You have like a Fear Papa Factory Roche. put out an album. Papa Pop, Roach puts out yeah, an Papa album. Roche. Yeah. Lip Biscuit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like you had um you had like these kind of bands that come out and um once again it just kind of seems like a big like splash in the plant a big spat, splash in the plan like there's pan there's no um real I guess torch carrier to pick up where the early to mid nineties left off mm-hmm. and be, and because there was like this kind of music culture hole that had to be filled it got filled dude and with, like that's why just everything yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's where like all these these movements and stuff come in. So like I, I feel that um, if I was to like just to go back to make a, a a simple answer to the question, like or to describe like the state of alternative rock at this time, um, it was pretty much in fucking disarray. Yeah. You know, only like only do I think um, throughout history, and not to mention like a very very limited amount of real groundbreaking alternative records, which we're going to get to towards the end. Um, these are just these are being judged retroactively or retrospectively. But if you were living in the now, alternative was dead. So like or like hanging on like by a right. thread. And I think it I think it goes to it goes to show you like when I think of this time period in, in alt rock, like there's a lot of songs that I like individually, but yeah. there's not a single band that like I that I like I discovered in like ninety six or ninety seven that I've stuck mm-hmm. with since then. Right. Oh God, you do like. I'm looking at this little thing, like this little like stupid list right now. So like we have a, let me give you a prime example, The Verve, okay, or a Bittersweet Symphony. That song right there, like I hear that I'm taken back to like smoking weed in my dad's house, like you know, that just takes me back instantaneously, right? Bittersweet Symphony is a fantastic song. I at one point in time owned The Verve's Urban Hymns. But did I ever really embrace the verb? Absolutely not. You know, like um, Blur Song 2, also a popular one during this time period. Like, And Blur is something that, like, because I like Damon Albarn, David Albarn or whatever, this is something I need to go back to. But Blur was something else where it was just, like, one song. You know, I didn't really, like, have the whole album and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, yeah, dude, it's just crazy. And even, like, what's even weirder is that, like, um, bands that were or artists that were like mega stars at one point in time were also had released albums in 1997. We're just not the same. Like U2 released pop. Yep. Just definitely like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I fucking love disco tech, but it's nowhere near as popular or as famous of an album as like Joshua. Tree say, it's, or, not, it's not Joshua. Or, Tree, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely not dude. Um, Paul McCartney released flaming pie this year. Um, right. Yes. I think yeah. I bought, I think I bought that album for my dad for, for Christmas or something. See, I wouldn't, I fucking wouldn't be surprised. Like my dad had owned that album too. And like, granted, this was like a big deal for like our parents and stuff, but like, you know, Paul McCartney, like, um, as much as he's been releasing albums and granted, like every, uh, every album of his does achieve some level of social relevance, but like, it's just not the same that it was when he was with the Beatles. Um, then also David Bowie released earthling, um, during 1997 as well. And, um, once again, like this really famous artist releasing something that just, you know, it's it's David Bowie's twentieth album. You know what I'm saying? It's not right. And it, it was and it was David Bowie trying a lot of new things. Yeah, I think that might have been David Bowie with Nine Inch Nails. Part he of that, did, like the, yeah, the Afraid of Americans comes off of that one. And that's right. They were both, um, if I remember the story correctly, both David Bowie and uh, Reznor were kind of they were both like hesitant about their like their collabo because like it, it's just they're coming from two very different musical worlds. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it just proves that, like, you put Trent Reznor with anything and it'll be good. Yes, <laughs> like, pretty, yeah, pretty much. It yeah. really does. 
Oh yeah, and then also um, the Rolling Stones released uh, "Bridges to Babylon" in That's 1997. Right. So like, yeah, you just had like these, you know, these these fucking people that just I'm telling you, it almost kind of makes you. Wonder, makes you wonder if they even had to do it you know like can you just have toured you know what i'm saying like the, the did rolling you really stones have to just stop? they just released <laughs> like I, yeah. I just think i just think after when was like steel wheels is that like 80 is that 88 89 it's in that time period because i know that that tour came to the brown stadium right. but like it was like almost like after that point they were just fucking bored and they were like why don't we just release albums why don't we just why don't we just keep touring until we're a hundred um, right, which you know, like it still would be fun to see, but obviously, like they're again, their creative days are way, way behind them. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, dude. And just a couple of really quick, uh, just like kind of lost, like with no like places, you know, it, that came out in 1997. Uh, Marcy Playground released their de- debut oh, album. Oh man, in Little Sex and Candy. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I'm telling you, like that, such a great album, but just kind of phased out. You know what I'm saying? No real place in the world. Um, Harvey Danger, Where Have All the Merrymakers Gone, is also yes. uh, 1997. Um, then we also, uh, let's see here, we got uh, Collective Soul, Disciplined Breakdown. That was supposed to be kind of like an album that maybe would oh, have yeah, solidified yeah. Collective Soul, but then Collective Soul just kind of um, kind of fizzled out in, the, in their own way from there. Silver Chairs Freak Show, uh, Our Lady Pieces Clumsy, Ben Folds, whatever and ever, amen. Like, um, so, dude, I'm telling you, there's just been some albums in there that um you know maybe like even a little lost even in some of these people's own discographies dude one of my one of my favorite still one of my favorite kind of odd not odd but just like a quirky um album of its time uh corner shop when i was born for oh the yeah time yeah 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 um brimful of asha and i want to say like sleep on the left side um mm-hmm. comes out that year and then like they are i think they're two indian brothers they are there and gone in a flash and yeah. I still like every time, like, it's not like I hear it that often, but every now and then I, I'll hear Brimful of Asha. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, this is a fun little song. Like, this is, they had a couple of fun little songs. Oh, yeah, dude. There's a band called uh, Dog's Eye View that released Everything Falls, this little song called Everything Falls Apart. Mm-hmm. During, just, yep. yeah, this is a stupid little thing, you know, the, the, the fucking came and went. It was a, uh, it came, it was in a movie that featured Jennifer Aniston and Paul Rudd as in a romantic comedy where oh, yeah, Paul Rudd yeah, yeah. became man. That was the theme for the movie that they played in the trailer, and then that band disappeared into yep. into, into uh, nothing. You know, it's fucking nuts. So, oh yeah, dude. So bully me, dude. I, like, I'm, I'm really happy that you let off the, the conversation that the way you did because you you were hitting on things that um that, that like I that, that I almost was like struggling to like not bring up in the first five minutes of the podcast. So so thank you very much for that. So um, how would you describe the state of hip hop in this time period? It's 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 very ironically inverse to alt rock, uh-huh. in that like you you bring up a good point with when Kurt Cobain dies, it puts the brakes on a lot of things. I mean, obviously, yeah. you still have other big bands, you know, from the you know big grunge bands that still obviously just kept making music, but it does put the mm-hmm. brakes on the mega popularity of it. Right. Conversely, you have the murders of Tupac and Biggie that completely mainstream hip hop. That take it from that take it from you know something that uh, that the police were worried about into like now every white kid has life after death, every white kid's listening to Machiavelli, like it's it's mm-hmm. like it's finally mainstream because it's two biggest stars got murdered. Yes. Oh yeah, dude. And um, I'll tell you, like it's mainstreamed, and when it got mainstreamed, it opened the door for both really good and really bad like kind of images of hip hop and stuff. And like what Puff Daddy did. It's kind of like what I think 
the movement was like never really about in the first place. Like I think Puff Daddy kind of like added all this glitz and glam to it and stuff like that, mainly because he's just a producer, you know, he's more or less a producer. You can hire whoever the hell he wants. He's got a whole fuck ton of money from the Biggie Smalls and all this kind of stuff, you know, the, the the, the people that he's invested in. So it added this kind of unnecessarily, unnecessary bling to hip hop and this unnecessary like kind of showiness where you almost kind of look at these people. You just kind of remember these people for their <clears throat> articles of jewelry and not necessarily for the music, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but like one of the things that I, um, I do realize about this time period in hip hop is that it's a uh, kind of, um, once again, with this whole thing with movements and kind of opening the doors is that, um, this kind of planted the seeds for genres that I think kind of, capitalized an artist that I think became popular like later on and stuff like they're like Puff Daddy was just such a money force that there was nothing that was going to stop Puff Daddy from right. being famous, you right. know, like absolutely nothing. But like when, um, maybe we were talking about like Wu-Tang had released an album, uh, this year. Um, also like, uh, Master P ghetto D like, so oh, the yeah. birth of, so like the birth of no limit, um, happened in this point in time, which kind of, it kind of started not necessarily what I wouldn't say paving the road, but they're like the guys that are digging the road so it can be paved for the independent rap movement to begin. Mm-hmm. So like, um, cause master P like originally like no limit was an independent label. Then yep. it had like a, a big distributing contract and stuff. So like this kind of gave rise for like when dudes like Kanye and Jay Z, like basically rappers to then start their own labels and everything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And then um, I will say one one thing that um, 1997 did give us in hip hop was it did give us Eminem's The Slim Shady LP. So we did have our we had like um, the, well, think, you, like, you finally have a legitimate white rapper in 1997. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Yes, you do. And because of his skin color, it kind of opens the door for him to be embraced by audiences that might not necessarily right. embrace. Exactly. 100 percent. 100 percent. So that's another way that um, rap music is catapulted into the mainstream. As if, as if like um, the as if the quality of rap music like wasn't enough to get it into. Like I, I feel that like it was taken into the mainstream by like just the natural flow of things. Like just rap music became good enough. Now it's now it's like really mainstream and stuff. But um, through Puff Daddy and Eminem, you kind of had it taken into a big full on explosion which um, I think carried over easily for about five to six years after that, like where like hip hop was really, really, really like at the top of its game, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to like finances and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, Some people might differ when it comes to artists and everything, but um, the big hip hop explosion of the late nineties and early two thousands took place in 1997. And I would say really carried out to about, 50 cents get retro die trying then um i would say then it kind of goes lulls and then picks back up from there yeah but, but that's that's just me just a stupid hip-hop timeline no i, I, so, would, agree. Uh, I would agree with you on that one okay so so what um uh, pop music wise what do you think about pop music garbage um garbage this is where you know what let's not call it garbage this is where all the forgettable stuff comes from um yes. it is you know is, is pop music where like it's it's always easy to rag on pop music, but it's not like Michael Jackson was popping out new hits right now. Right. You know what I mean? Like you go back in the seventies and eighties, Michael Jackson was, was pop music, was charting pop music. You're yeah. talking one of the greatest artists of all time, whatever his mm-hmm. faults and flaws are, right. you know, plenty of them. 
there's no one that exists like that in 1997 that's making exactly. music like that. It's um, let me just I'm, I'm going to pull up the Billboard Hot 100 here, like <laughs> Mbop. Uh, we already talked about um, we already talked about Barbie Girl. Yeah. Um, Mbop's up there. There's oh gosh, what else pops up on here? Oh, you have uh, uh, Savage, the... Savage Garden. Savage Garden. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously Spice Girls. There's oh gosh, let me get down here. You have shit like Freak Nasty, the, the Dip. Yeah. Just like all this is just I mean, it's it's garbage. It, mm-hmm. It's just it's so forgettable. How about yeah. oh gosh, how about the Gina G? Ooh, uh, just a little bit. Oh my God! Yeah, I remember that song. Yeah, just there's all these completely forgettable songs that. You know, I mean, like, obviously we remember them now because we're kind of, this was our assignment to go back and, and dig into this stuff. But just, right. like, stuff that went in one ear and just went out the other. Yeah, dude, that's a, another fucking great way to put it, dude. I'm telling you, never underestimate the role that you're on. Because, and the way that you put it in the beginning of that was so great. When you say that, like, Michael Jackson, despite his flaws and everything, we're still singing Billy Jean and right. Thriller and stuff like that. Like. I wouldn't be surprised if I really thought about it, like how many times I've actually listened to Michael Jackson just as Michael Jackson throughout the course of like the last like four or five years, you know, just like, Hey, I just want to listen to some old school Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. I'm never going through that with like Aqua and Spice Girls and stuff like that. <laughs> just going to go put on this Spice Girls album real quick. Yeah, no, not happening whatsoever. And what's weird is that like, they like by the snow shovel fold just dumped all of these fucking forgettable like pop star personalities on us, man. Like it is fucking crazy. Like uh, Natalie Abruglio was like around this time yeah. period. Yeah. Um, you even had like kind of like Kylie Minogue started to like pop up as popularity goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, you you don't really have like the Katie like a Katy Perry or Lady Gaga like type figure like those kind of I think are a little that that's a little bit later when you have like that kind of like megastar, but, um, but you just, right. Like almost had, you know, it's almost like they just had all these artists who the music industry is just like, Hey, you want to make one, like a bunch of money for one year and then that'll be it. You know, like, is, is that cool enough for you? You just want to do that and play the red burn off circuit the rest of your life. Like, so apparently um, they're fine with it. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I'm, I'm fucking telling you like the, uh, pop music, um, thing when being very very forgettable i think is the right is the right assessment of it uh who knows maybe like history maybe like in 10 or 15 years we're going to be like my god dude they can just get really nostalgic for some chumbawamba or something like that but um, you know what i still love i still love when i'm at a bar and tub something comes on i really do stupid fucking song but i don't care you're right i want a whiskey drink i want a cider drink i want a lager drink I, I like yeah i don't know what it is like that's one of those songs it's never gonna be good but i'm always gonna remember it and kind of enjoy it do you remember chumbawamba's second single off that album no. called memory loss <laughs> no that was another good one i like yeah so that, that was like so that's you want to know some this is almost like one of the most 1997 things ever when um there are these bands that had mega hits in 1997 but you cannot name like a second song by them or like their second song is just so incredibly unpopular that it, it's almost like not even worth the, the discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll tell you, like one of my favorite examples, Marcy Playground, Sex and Candy, huge hit. I fucking have no idea how the hell Sex and Candy was such a big ass hit. It's one of the worst songs on that album. It is not actually. a good song. <laughs> yeah. But they, they released another song called St. Joe on the School Bus. They had a video and everything for it. And um, yep, 
dude, you, you would never even know about it. It's like Chumbawamba had their, their second song. Uh, Aqua, I know, had a, for a fact, had another song out there. And I, I just don't even know why the record company suggested even doing it. You know, like, right. well, how are you going to follow up tub thumping for real? <laughs> Especially they spent, didn't, didn't they not grind for like 13, 14 years before tub thumping? <clears throat> oh, dude, they were like this. They were, kind of they're like, not like uh, young dude. They weren't like young dudes in 1997. Right, like they were from Australia, and they were kind of like um, the best kind of equivalent that I would put them at would be like kind of like a band like Madness, where you had this cult following in like the area that you're at, and you made, like Madness had that our house in the middle of our street song, oh, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay, yeah. So like, where like you are kind of in like what would be like an adjacent punk category. Um, your message is somehow maybe rooted in like uh, non-mainstream uh, language, but it, in all reality, like you're only crossing over you're just gonna have the one hit in the states and that's it and stuff like i i wouldn't be surprised if chumbawamba was very big in australia even still to this day but we're, we just don't know about it oh yeah no that's a really good point actually or, or like somebody from the band went on and formed another uh another uh another group somewhere got, that's, that's some research man we got to figure it out yeah oh yeah so, so um so we already kind of so basically in that discussion we kind of figured out who was on top of the world and who was lost and I, I'm I'm very happy that we we got into got into that because mm-hmm. that's where that's where I was really like trying to go with this conversation so um so basically like just in a plain and simple thing like um and, and if you were to kind of take away some of the um you know some of the the technical stuff and some of the detail that we discussed like would you just kind of describe it as like hey it's just about time for a new genre of music to be on top. Yeah, like yeah. I think it's, I think it is just sort of like it. Like I said, there's a lot that goes behind. There's a lot, there's a lot <laughs> of reasons behind like what we see in 1997, and I yeah. think it is just it's just a sign of the times. And I think maybe it, because it seems, maybe because of the, I, I guess like we're we're like pre we're like really pre. I mean, obviously the internet existed, but I mean we're like pre <laughs> internet affecting everything. But I yeah. think we're like at the at the dawning of like sort of the speed of of culture changing. I got gotcha. you. So like it feels like because you know because all this all this stuff sort of hits at once, it mm-hmm. just feels kind of simultaneously overwhelming and like forgettable at the same time because yeah. we weren't quite ready for like the speed at which pop culture yeah. and culture changes. We are now. Right. I mean, shit. Yeah. Two, you know, two years from now, someone who is completely on top of the world is going to be irrelevant. But you know, back you go back into the '90s, '80s. People sustained success for a decade at a time. Yeah, and you know, yeah, they, you right. know they only had to release a couple albums because that's just the way it worked. You know, you mm-hmm. if you're I don't know, like if you're Madonna, you could release three albums in ten years and be relevant all ten of those years. Yeah, if no, that makes dude, sense. Yeah, no, it does make all the sense in the wor- in the world to me, man. I'm, I'm fucking telling you. And um, once again, you have taken the thought and put it into words and. Um, the way that you make this great um, point about like the, the the pace of culture and stuff like that and how like this like what was experiencing in 1997 did kind of seem like overload or just you know like God what the hell's going on mm-hmm. but now it does kind of seem normal so I almost like I'm kind of like willing to say that uh, 1997 was kind of like the dry run for the future of the music industry and what um where these where these like next like where the next like big year of a lot of musical movements and a lot of like newer things and stuff like that i I said earlier that it kind of happens again in 2007 it does kind of happen in 2007 because now like the pace of of all these different albums all these different styles all these different artists technology has finally met 
that. So these two mediums come together in 2007. And that's why in that time period, you have rise of all these popular bands or at least kind of popular in their own way, even though they're not reflecting the same album sales. But like you have bands like uh, Vampire Weekend that are just this kind of little East Coast, rich kids, ska, island, whatever you want to call it kind of band. And all of a sudden they're huge. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like a Bands like uh, Grizzly Bear, which like I still can't believe Grizzly Bear is really, really popular, but they are good. And like Grizzly Bear all of a sudden is a thing. And TV on the radio, which is the psychedelic rap, but punk and rock all kind of fused together as once. They're the number one album of the year by Spin Magazine. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. so um, at one point in time in the future, uh, technology and the trends finally meet, which gives us the state of music industry today, which is a whole other topic. And we believe me, we could save, we could save that one for a whole other day. But, uh, but yeah, I, but like, I, I'm happy that you, that you had brought that up with, um, the change in culture and stuff like that. Like, I, I think that this year kind of was the, you know, introductory dry run of the way that the, the industry is now. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, what, um, what do you think MTV, um, what, part do they play in this whole do, thing because i have i think that they have a significant one they do and i'm really glad that, i'm really glad that you put this on here because again like we're we're sort we are still like sort of pre-internet for like a, a significant amount of people and yeah. even the people who have the internet they don't use it anywhere near the same way that we use it now um right. which is unbelievable it's only 21 years ago but um yeah. it's just not used the same way that we use it now but mtv kind of pioneered direct feedback from its listeners from its viewers from people yeah. who were involved in music, you had uh -huh. um, at this age, uh, Total Request Live was one yep. of their biggest shows, and then, you know I think it more or less peaks like in the early two thousands. But it does. Um, you had so you had uh, TRL um, people calling in and requesting requesting songs on the air, and you're getting and also they, there was an online component to that, I believe. I feel like there's also online voting on their website, which is like one of the you really think about it one of the first one of the first websites that was doing anything like that. Yeah. Um, they also had a show called 12 Angry Viewers, where yeah. I think the, I want to say the host was Ananda Lewis. And she, she literally, I mean, it was literally, it was 12, just 12 people that they essentially picked off the street in New York uh -huh. would come in and discuss like two music videos, the merits and the, and you know, the merits of the music videos, the artistic value, the music itself. And they right. would, they would, they would debate over, the, over which one was better. And then mm -hmm. whoever won that episode, that got put into heavy rotation on MTV. Yeah. So they were like sort of, probably unknowingly pioneering when we, when we talk about like the, the way social media works now, mm -hmm. they were like unknowingly pioneering direct customer, direct consumer feedback um, yeah. years before it became critical on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. Oh dude, you are a hundred percent right on that, man. Once again, with the on a roll on a fucking roll here. So yes, I'm just dude, draining threes. You are draining the fucking nuggets, son. So I'm telling you, dude, that is another really great point that you make there about this direct um the kind of the direct and audience participation with um with music and everything because you're right because like they were doing it before it became popular and they were able to like i don't know man there's some kind of like when you're able to engage the audience in that way where like you're vote like hey you can vote on the number one like, where it mm -hmm. almost feels like your vote in this whole thing kind of matters like you have the ability to put a song into heavy rotation on mtv it does open the door for a lot of participation and everything and he, this is this point in time in, in mtv's uh career where the foundation was laid for them to really become like an entertainment like a beast in the entertainment industry and it's not like they weren't popular before like mtv was you know groundbreaking in the 80s and stuff mm -hmm. like that and 
Um, this is really like only like, you know, maybe a decade or so of MTV even being around, maybe a little bit longer. But this is when like we finally realized like what MTV can do and how like, I guess, receptive um, society, the media, pop culture and all that would be to it. Because you, you talked about um, TRL. So this is actually, I don't know if you knew this, but like um, TRL never started off as TRL. It was, it was something else. It was called like, I think it was just like MTV request hour or something. It was just like basically Mm -hmm. a request show. And then what happened is, is after the request show, they would do MTV live, which was like an interview show with Carson Daly, where they would just kind of hang out in MTV studios that overlooked Times Square. And then as the request show started to gain popularity, they decided to merge the two. Right. And the total request live became this like, Dude, it became this thing where you not only were getting like the video countdown, which is like kind of while you're why you're there in the first place, but you're also getting like, you know, celebrities coming yeah, in for guest in interviews, bit. like bands doing live performances in the studio. Like you're starting to really like cast a, a big wide net mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, trying to hook in the audience and stuff, you know, and like being able to have people like me like watch M- MTV and stuff, you know, and then what they would do after MTV Live ended was uh, you um, you kind of got your like little genre specific shows. So you maybe got your half hour of rock music, your half hour of rap, your half hour of pop. And then they started to go into like their own version of original content. They had the 10 spot back then and everything oh, yeah, like yeah. where you remember all that shit so um i think mtv like um at this point in time definitely like you know did a good job of um uh like promoting certain artists and stuff and i'll tell you like as a young kid do you remember like like kind of not really being into bands that were played on vh1 even though oh yeah vh1 was definitely definitely for our parents yeah Oh, yeah. And then, like, over time, like, VH1 kind of became cool. Right, <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. Just, right, or VH1 just changed up their format, whatever the hell it is. But um, I do think that these two music stations, um, you know, particularly with MTV, like, this is where MTV finally, like, became, like, something. You know, like, something, like, like a real, like, power within the industry. Right, because it, it, it was, you could only, you could only play videos for so mm-hmm. long out of the day. And, right. and, and I know even in the 80s, they had, like, like little game shows and shit that were on later at night. But, like, you could only play music videos so many times without, you know, without there being anything else. Yeah. And, obviously, like, did they I, – I forgot what a force that MTV was just because of – just because of, like, how kind of irrelevant they've been rendered now. Um, just so, totally forgot, like, how big of a force they were in, in sort of mainstreaming – really mainstreaming a lot of bands and a lot of, um, and a lot of like, different music styles. Mm-hmm. Oh God, dude. Yeah. And like, it's, it's so crazy to think that like, just the way that MTV would, the way that they would promote bands and like, almost seems like no matter what, like, you know, if you were kind of a hot band, like you could get, and you had a video, you can get it on MTV. And it's just nuts to think that like, yeah, like tool had videos that were on MTV at one point in time, you know, uh, fucking the squirrel nut zippers had videos yes. like Marilyn Manson had music videos. Like, I mean, and these were all things that were like, you know, shown on cable television regularly, mm-hmm. which uh, just it just it's just fucking nuts, dude. You just don't kind of you you're just not seeing that kind of shit now. You no. know what I'm saying? No, not at all. So, <clears throat> so if you had to uh, put a definitive face on the year of 1997, who would that face be? Man, this is this is a really tough one. <clears throat> um, it's a tough one because like 
I guess like it's one it's gonna it's gonna depend on like your your preferred musical styles. Um, yeah, it's also gonna depend on like what you think would be like if it's if it's something that's more important than the music itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it, it, you know, there's some other factors too. But like in that case, like for me, it, it's got to be it's got to be Notorious B.I.G. Okay. Um, with you know he he gets murdered and then you know a few months after not even months I think it was a few weeks after um, Life After Death drops. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the seminal rap albums of all time, um, yeah. maybe the greatest rap album of all time. It it legitimizes it legitimizes rap and rap music. Um, it gives birth to obviously to Puff Daddy for better or worse. He helps mainstream it further. Um, uh, you know you, you have Puff Daddy then doing collaborations with fucking Sting uh, during the MTV yeah. Music Awards. <clears throat> right. Uh, it's it's I don't know. Like I just think like that his it's the music, but also like what he mattered and what his death meant to to the industry as a whole that like it changes quite a bit and yeah. uh, that's why for me like he would be like the definitive face of, of 1997 no dude i i completely agree with you and like i was i was going to say like as i was actually had put puff daddy down because that's like yeah puff daddy's like what comes to my mind first you know what i'm mm-hmm, saying but mm-hmm. in, in a way puff daddy wouldn't be there if it wasn't for notorious right. big so like in this in this kind of like unusual, like six degrees of Kevin Bacon sort of way, like notorious B.I.G. is responsible for, you know, the most popular, like, I guess, kind of faces or music of 1997. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah no, that's really, really yeah. good. How about you? So, okay. So, oh yeah, yeah. My, my puppet. You're, you're, oh, okay. It is puppet. Okay, yeah, yeah. It is puppet. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Should, should have clarified that. Okay. But yeah. So now, um, so now that uh, we've talked about like a little bit of the lost stuff and everything, I want to like flip, uh, flip the switch a little bit to discuss some of the greatness that is buried in all the trash, because I will shit you not, dude, there was a fuck ton of greatness that I found in 1997, but it's just, it's crazy. Cause all this really good stuff is just buried in all this like shit and stuff, you know? And a lot of this um, that we're going to talk about, some of it might be, um, you know, albums that I knew were great even then and there, but some of it also might be like, retrospective greatness you know so they just maybe something you found a little bit later on down the road so um let's uh let's name off some of the the shining stars in 1997 go ahead and uh you're on the roll why don't you go ahead and fucking uh take count it down lead well, it off i already mentioned it before but um i'll, I'll just it, it, it you know it's worth mentioning again that you know daft punk's homework album um obviously gives gives everyone like their first taste of like sort of what what mainstream techno you know will become and mm-hmm. In addition to like around the world, like which is obviously their the most famous song off of that, um, and like which it puzzled it was funny because it like it puzzled a lot of people. Yeah, and just like well, all they all they say is around the world over and over again. And I'm like, yeah, but like it, it, it's not what you're listening. You're not like, listening for the lyrical content right. of, of of this particular song. Mm-hmm. It's just like this is like something that we that we in, in France this this was like old. This is like been around in France for like a decade at this point, um, yeah. in various forms and. You know, and obviously we 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 talked about it before how there's already like house music, you know, you already had Chicago house and and Detroit house music, but it wasn't anywhere near what what Daft Punk is, mm-hmm. and it, they you know they sort of I don't want to say kicked down the door, but like they definitely they're sort of they're sort of inserting themselves into the popular music conversation, and yeah. then from there they become like this this phenomenon that mm-hmm. um, that really is otherwise unmatched. 
Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Oh fuck yeah, dude! No, like, and I love that. I love that you go with Daft Punk because um, Daft Punk is one of these bands like that. If they were to, they're like the next biggest reunion. Like when people talk about like yeah. you know all these bands getting back together, if they got back together, that is like a that's like a be all end all. Like if there are people that like only you know a lot money to go to like one or two concerts. If Daft Punk tickets were super expensive, you're only going to like one right. concert that exactly. summer. You know what I'm saying? Like, and um, what's weird is that. For just basically two guys and electronic music, minimal singing, you know, that 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 they are so good that they are the, the hot reunion, you yeah. know, and it's it's been God, we're going we're going on over 10 years, I think, since they've performed together, like as Daft Punk in a Daft Punk concert capacity. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're about right, because the, the last thing that they did together, period, mm-hmm. was was it the Tron soundtrack? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, 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 they, no, they, they oh, did a music, oh, uh, random access memory. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, so that was last night. Yeah, yes, yeah, so they recorded, but like, I'll tell you, like, random access memories is a majority of collaboration album. Which, when it comes to collaboration albums, um, you know, like, I, I love random access memories, but I kind of put like an asterisk by it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's Daft Punk, but it's not like a Daft Punk album. Yeah, it's right, exactly. So and that's like that for everybody. Everybody that does a collaboration album gets that asterisk, like one hundred percent. So, okay, so yeah, dude. I um, so what's crazy is in doing the research, I actually found that a lot. There's there's a pretty solid amount of uh, gems in this uh, in this year that's come out. So just let me kind of run. Oh, yeah, uh, go for it. Go for it. Run some of these off here. So, <clears throat> uh, Foo Fighters, the color and the shape is nineteen ninety seven. Oh yes, it's correct. Yeah. And so is Radiohead's OK Computer. Yep. And they are released a day apart from one another. Are they really? Yeah, according to Wikipedia, like the way they have it on the list and stuff, yeah, they're a day apart from one another. Okay, so uh, let's see here. We have, uh, let me go right on the list, Spiritualized, this band Spiritualized is absolutely fantastic. They released their seminal album, Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space in 1997. Okay, yeah, yep. Uh, Ween released The Mollusk, which is like a a, kind of like a standard classic Ween album. Mm -hmm. Uh, Panther. Pantera released Official Live 101. Um, Oasis released Be Here Now. Incubus released Science. Uh, the singer Nico Case released her album The Virginian. Uh, ben Harper released uh, The Will to Live in 1997. Uh, Our Lady Peace did Clumsy. Silverchair's Freak Show. Modest Mouse released two albums in 1997. Um, Deftones released Around the Fur. Uh Mighty Mighty Boston has released uh, Let's Face It. Um, let me go see here. A couple. Oh, uh, KRS One released I Got Next. Oh, KRS One. God damn, I forgot he had an album out then. Yeah, yeah. That that might have been. I think towards the. I think that's towards the end of it. Like I don't believe he's done too much of significance since. Uh, oh no, not at all. Since since then, um, then we have uh, Slipknot released an album back then. Metallica released Reload. Um, I will throw Limp Bizkit's $3 bill into this because this was like Limp Bizkit became trash later on. <laughs> like right, in, right. In, in, pop, in, in music and stuff, you write about Daft Punk. Uh, Blur self-titled album, which released like Blur is just this whole thing in England that we'll never, ever understand in America. And uh, the last thing that oh, uh, two things to close this out. Uh, the first one is um, Morphine, this band Morphine, uh, their lead singer died. They were kind of just this. Like, like you know, um, acclaimed uh, like kind of indie, not really mainstream band. Mm-hmm. They released an album called Like Swimming. Um, as I mentioned before, Third Eye Blind released their self-titled debut album in 1997, and also Pavement released Bright in the Corners in 1997. And that's kind of uh, 
pavements like slow descent into breaking up. They only lasted a couple more years mm-hmm. uh, after that. But yeah, dude, there's a, there's a fuck ton of genius. And then you have Green Day's Nimrod, Blink 182's Dude Ranch, um, Offspring release XNA on the Ombre, which was like their it's the last, last it's the last one before they just fall apart. Yeah. Yeah, just really fucking fell apart on that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude, like, so so there is there is some genius in there. But if I was going to be honest with you, like, out of that entire list that I read, the only, and this kind of, like, uh, kind of phase goes into the next question, like, the only thing that I've actually stuck with me for, like, you know, since that entire time, like, I bought it in 1997 and still listen to it even to today, would be uh, the Foo Fighters Color and the Shape, uh, Radiohead's OK Computer, um, Third Eye Blind self-titled album, Daft Punk's Homework, and um, the Green Day's Green Day's Nimrod, and that's maybe Deftones around the fur. But like, other than that, a lot of this is more uh, retrospective genius. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm mm-hmm. So like, those would be the ones that I would that I'd listen to forever. Yeah, how, about, yeah. how about you? Um, yeah, like OK Computers up there. It's like I'm a Radiohead fan, not to the same level you are. Like, if I could just take one album with me for yeah. all the time and it's going to be okay computer it just has some of my favorite songs on it yeah, um, of course uh you already you already mentioned daft punk homework i'm going to add to it missy elliott super duper fly um yep. you finally have you finally have a female rapper who's not famous for being hot mm-hmm. you know like 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 go back far into like foxy brown and um yeah. I'm, I'm, there's another one i'm thinking that was with uh, junior mafia and, and big who the fuck am i thinking about doesn't really matter but Little like Kim. yeah okay like they're attractive then that's yeah in addition to talented, they're attractive. Not knocking Missy Elliott necessarily, but she, Missy Elliott becomes famous because she's a good rapper. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. That's why yeah, she becomes famous. Um, mm-hmm. Still listen to Life After Death. Um, I, I think this is like I don't know. I don't know exactly how else to put this, but like at least in, at least in America, it's our introduction to Bjork as a personality. Yeah, and like just I'm just fascinated with this human being. Like, mm-hmm. and also I just mispronounced it. We always pronounce it Bjork. It's Burke. Yeah. Burke, really? That's how you pronounce it in Iceland. Burke. No shit, I didn't know that. It, just, it means bark, like off a tree. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but uh, so Burke, Bjork, whatever. Um, just like our introduction to her as a as a music personality and like a, a known crazy person, but who consistently over the last twenty years has put out some like interesting music and some especially very interesting music videos. Oh yeah. Oh, dude, she's still like when um, she'll still headline festivals. Like she headlined Pitchfork. Uh, mm-hmm. above- five or six years ago, something like that. And dude, she's still a draw. Like people still go to see Bjork in concert. But dude, she wore a swan. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and attacked a reporter in Iceland. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there you go. Nice. Very nice, dude. Yeah. I'm fucking telling you, I keep, I keep on forgetting about Bjork. And I, I did see her on the, the, the Wikipedia list. Was that, was that her debut album or was it I, just the, album I don't think it was broke? her debut album, but I think that was her, like what broke, what broke in America. Okay, gotcha. Totally gotcha. So, just as we kind of wrap up um, this uh, wrap up this uh, this ish, this episode, uh, sorry, and believe me, I God, I'm telling you, I did have a whole lot of fun taking this stroll through 1997 with you, and I've literally felt myself like having to stop just because it's going to go into a massive rabbit hole. Like I've had to do this many a times throughout the course of the throughout the course of the uh, episode for sure. But um, what? Uh, do you have any like interesting anecdotes, anecdotes, musical factoids, any kind of like stories from 1997 that stick out to you? Uh, the, I, I'm still stewing on this. Like, so you go ahead and give yours because I think I have one. Okay. That, the, I think that belongs in 1997. So okay, okay, cool. Like, I got a, just a couple of things. I'm going to rant some of this stuff off. So, uh, 
to start off with, um, the band Against Me, they're one of my favorite bands now. Um, it's kind of like thrash punk band. They formed in 1997. Um, 1997 saw the breakups of uh, Acid Bath, this uh, crazy fucking metal band that has uh, John Wayne Gacy as uh, uh, Pogo the Clown oh, as, um, the album on cover, their right? album cover. Yeah, you bet. So, so they broke up. Uh, Dinosaur Jr. broke up the first time. Uh, the Fugees disbanded. The Gin Blossoms broke up for the first time. Um, this band, this really interesting, weird, I, I don't even really like them, but like online kind of like salivates over this group called Swans. <clears throat> and Swans is like this, like, I guess it would be like, like progressive hard rock. I don't even know if it's metal or not, but, um, the, it's, it's weird, but the, I've seen them in concert once, um, for all of like 10 minutes. Cause I was at a festival and I remember like laying down on the ground. And when they started playing the first chord, that this guy struck was so loud and vicious. It literally, I jumped up. I was like, God, what the fuck is going on? But, um, so, so they broke up and, uh, this band, uh, this little punk band called the Riverdales, uh, they were a side project of this guy, Ben Weasel. Um, they, the green, the Riverdales opened up for green day. The first time I saw them, uh, back in 1995 and they disbanded in 1997. Uh, so then just a couple of other quick things. And we had highlighted it earlier, the Titanic soundtrack, massive fucking soundtrack that came out at the, the end of the year. Um, and then the last two things that I'll mention are uh, the Ramones released their final concert on CD. It's called We're Out of Here. And they also released it with a uh, video documentary about the last show. And the last show they ever played was actually it was recorded in um, it was on August 6th of 1996. And like Eddie Vedder came out, uh, the guys from Rancid came out, Lemmy from Motorhead came out. So it was kind of like a star studded event for their last show. And they finally released this concert on um, on CD for you to buy, like in 1997. And the final thing that I will um, that I'll bring up, which is one of the most significant events that has taken place in 1997. And I'm kind of disappointed that I had it written down and failed to bring it up until now. But in 1997, the band Insane Clown Posse got dropped from Disney and released the Great Malenko on Hollywood Records. <laughs> that's, that's right. That is not, yes. That is Holy 1997. Shit. Yes. So when ICP had their and they're still around so they are famous in their own way and like there was this one point in time with psychopathic records it was a multi-million dollar business i don't know if it is now but um what we know of icp and everybody's kind of introduction every joke that you could crack about icp whatever it is started in 1997 because that's the story that broke insane clown posse into the mainstream. Like if you've ever, if there's any reason that violent J or shaggy two dope are getting a, a, a couple lines in rolling stone or something, it all took place in 1997. Dude, that's nuts. I, I, yeah. I fuck that's nuts. That's yeah. A, that's really crazy. That's a nice comprehensive list there. Um, yeah, this is what I was thinking about. Uh, John Denver dies. Oh, wow. Notorious BIG he, dies. Um, okay. Michael Hutchins commits suicide. Um, and, Maybe one of the most, one of the most unusual, maybe one of the most unusual sort of like rises to like, to quick celebrity, and it actually happens, and it really happens after his death. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Israel Kamakawaleo dies. He's the big Hawaiian guy on the ukulele. He does the "Somewhere Over the Rainbow" rendition. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah, and like suddenly he like that song becomes significantly more famous like after he dies. Yeah, so it was just totally. really interesting. There's, I mean, John Denver's a huge one, but like. How, you know, like, this is, like, such a weird year for, like, the celebrity deaths fueling a lot of, a lot of the the music popularity. Obviously, we talked about Princess Diana's death, 
that fuels mm. Candle in the Wind and makes it the biggest single of, of John Elton John's entire career, of his right. storied, storied career. B.I.G. dies and launches what you know launches hip hop into the mainstream. Um, you know, there's just it's just interesting that like this sort of this like all these tragedies kind of like really shape music going forward for a lot of people. Wow, dude, I never really looked at it like that. And I meant to include something about uh, artist death and stuff like that. I just like I the, the rabbit hole prevented me from right, doing right, that. right. I couldn't. I just no. thinking. I'm like, I thought John Denver died in 1997. That's a huge one. Yeah, yeah. Think flying fly his own plane. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did. wow, dude, what a fucking crazy way to go out too. Yeah, that's, yeah. The plane, the plane crash death is something that uh, JFK Jr., Leonard, Sk- all this kind of shit, man. Like that's Buddy Holly and Buddy all Holly, that the stuff. Big Bopper. Yep. Yeah. Do not Richie arrest. Valens, yeah. Do not. It's almost like why do people these celebrities even fly anymore? No, but, I would uh, just walk <laughs> everywhere, walking from gig yeah. to gig. I'd have people carry me. All my fans <laughs> carry me. <laughs> but yeah, dude, like what's um the the thing about um the Big's death and then that's just. So that I think is pretty significant other than, you know, launching the hip hop in the mainstream is that his death and Tupac's death of the previous year, they kind of ignite this like and this is a whole other thing for a whole other time. But I'll just touch on it right now is I feel that those two kind of ignited like posthumous romances. You know what I'm saying? Where like, yeah, things everyone to- loves everyone loves Sublime way more than when they were when Brad Noel was alive. Right, right. Yeah, he might actually be the catalyst because he died a, a year previous in 96. Yes. Because uh, Sublime released Secondhand Smoke, the, the compilation album of all the B-sides and stuff in 1997. Right. So he might be like the like the godfather of this whole thing, at least like for our generation. But um, as far as posthumous romances go, whether it be with film or music or whatever, like it was kind of started by B.I.G. Because if you're going to... If you're going to pass away, like, and I'm going to try to not sound like an asshole when I say this, but, like, if the death is going to do something, his death mainstreamed an entire genre of music. It's a little bit above if I just got hit by a car. Right. Mainstreamed an entire genre of music, and it's the only rap album certified diamond. Wow. Life After Death, yeah. Holy shit, I did not know that either. Wow. Okay, very, very interesting uh, tidbit today. Once again, you are on a roll up until the bitter fucking end. That's That's what I'm here for, man. That's what I'm here for. Hell yeah, dude. Did you get laid last night or something? I, I wish. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. I wish. No, I did not. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's great. But uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add into uh, the discussion about uh, the lost era music of 1997? Um, you know what? Just that, like, I, you know, it, it's funny. Like, this is truly like a lost year. But I think, when, I think like 20 years from now, th- they might be saying 2018 is a lost year. And music, okay. you yeah. know, like it, it, like take take all of this with like a little bit of grain of salt, because I'm sure, like, like I'm sure there's people like who, I'm sure like people will tell you that like this year was a great year because of what Big meant to rap, because of what Daft Punk and Prodigy and Chemical Brothers meant to techno and in electronic mm-hmm. music. Like there's like and like we said, like we pulled up like all the li- like I'll call them the Lilith, the Lilith Fair ladies. Yeah, like they were all very important and very impactful um, in their own way. But it's just, it's just like we both see it the same way. It seems like just that, like the the forgettable stuff and the bad stuff just seems to be at least at least seems to be at least an even amount to to outweigh or like almost outweigh the good stuff. And that's why it kind of gets lost in the wash. Yeah. Oh, dude, you're 100 percent right on that. Like, there for as much genius as there is in that list of stuff that I rented out, and believe me, like there's there's shit on there that I probably even left out just because I didn't have the time to to do it. You mm-hmm. know, but like. 
all of that just seems to get eclipsed by all this bad stuff. And like, you know, so we were talking about before, like how we ran it off, like the five songs, you know, that we, what we could think about for the, the songs. Um, I had done this in like two different ways where like I, before I even did any research, I just kind of listed off like the songs that, um, that for, that I picked, you know what I'm saying? But then as I did more research, I was like, wow, like I, there's a lot of stuff here that's great, but I just don't associate it with 1997. You know mm. what I'm saying? Because I associate Aqua and Chumbawamba and Hanson and all that shit, you yeah. know? But it's like, I, you know, it took me a second to realize that Bittersweet Symphony came out this year too, you know? So, right. so yeah, it's just like, um, I guess like with, with everything and, you know, and I guess maybe this might, this episode might be a, uh, like a, a metaphor for a greater thing is that just there are things out there like the true genius and the true like impactful things are just buried in all this crap and are more than likely not going to be the most like mainstream thing it's like I'm now even thinking about it and like believe me I, i'm going to need time to actually like put together what i think would be the, the, uh, there's it's really really rare when like something that's like genius and something that's like mainstream meat. And I know that it's happened before. I think maybe Thriller might be like one of the like Thriller might be on this mm-hmm. list, but mm-hmm. um, it's it's very very rare that like you know like something like like Radiohead's OK Computer, you know, um being like a diamond album. You know what I'm saying? Like or right. uh like that kind of genius does doesn't necessarily get the um, the love when it comes to the the numbers and the dollar amounts and everything. Right. No, exactly. No, totally. So, do you want to uh, lead us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the occasionalist, this is Matt Pagel uh, and Adam Chemilewski saying thanks, guys, for tuning in. Um, if you have any agreements or disagreements about this uh, this particular episode, let us know. Maybe maybe you have a an alternate theory or an alternate year for like the, the <laughs> that might have might be the worst music. Nineteen ninety eight was much better. Uh, let's just put it that way. But yeah, uh, <laughs> it really wasn't. But um, no. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for streaming. Thanks for uh, being our friends. Thanks for following us on social media. Thanks for thanks for being alive and enjoying this with us. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, until next time, you guys uh, be good to each other. Yes, be good. Thank you. See you guys later. <laughs>